Court side of the virtual hardwood, it's the NLSC Podcast. This is episode number 461. I am Andrew, Andrew in our forum, and Andrew NLSC on Twitter. I'm joined as always by my co-host Derek. He is DP3 in our forum, and also on Twitter at DP3G and DP384. Derek, before we started recording today, we finally connected on Parsec again to play some hoops. Quite literally, but that wasn't all. Yeah, and it was a blast. And I want to start off this episode by saying that, Andrew, I am proud of us because we took a long break from playing NBA Jam on Fire Edition, the road trip that we're on. Uh, now, after tonight, we're 58% complete through the mode, and we played the entire mode together. It's been a blast. But we took that long break, and we jumped on tonight, and we played four games. We played the full Celtics Challenge. We played Bronze, the Silver Challenge, and the gold challenge and we played one game against the nets on the bronze challenge but why i'm proud of us is we won all four games and even after that long break we took on the celtics in that gold challenge and it was threes were worth four points twos were worth three points dunks were worth one point and alley-oops were worth one point so i put out a team that we had never connected on before. We had never used this team together before. We used the Dallas Mavericks. You were on Dirk, and I was on Jason Terry. And I thought that would be fitting for this challenge, right? So we pulled out that victory with a team we had never used before on a gold challenge, fought through some adversity um, throughout the game. But I was just floored by the fact that not only did we win all four games, but we, we ran through that Celtics challenge after such a long break. Now, that was an impressive effort, and uh, but I'm not surprised because we do have great chemistry on that game. And, and yeah, when, on that Celtics gold challenge, when they got up early, that was a little bit concerning at, at, uh, at first, but you and I were very good at calming down and just uh, picking our spots and chipping away at that lead. And of course, you do have that four-point shot in that, uh, in that challenge. But we made a couple of those. Uh, you go inside, you get a couple of short uh, short jumpers for the, th- the three points, a, a finger roll for the three points, because layups are still worth three, even though dunks and alley-oops are worth one in that challenge. And and yeah, we, we pulled ahead, and I think we won that kind of comfortably. We did. And it matters if you haven't used a team before in that game, because not everybody shoots the same. Mm. Dirk has a very slow wind-up in that game and for those who have played nba jam on fire edition you know that on the gold challenge up fakes don't work right you're not going to get your guy in the air and then it's very easy to get blocked so that was one of the struggles that you were having is where his wind up was so slow i had to take on like more of a bulk of the scoring meanwhile i was using jason terry so i was short and you had to take on the rim protection and the majority of that, and you swatted like five or six shots in the fourth quarter, either out at the three-point line or at the rim, and they were huge for us. But using a new team in that game is an adjustment because you notice how comfortable we are with Irving and Dawkins on the 76ers or Kemp and Payton on the Sonics or if we use like Larry and Pierce or Larry and KG or something like that on the Celtics we're comfortable with those teams because we've used them so many times um but yeah that that was super fun and then on the silver challenge versus the Celtics which the silver challenge can kind of be a pain in the butt every now and then as well 
we used I used Derek Rose, you used Benny the Bull, the mascot, and we won that game comfortably and we don't use them too often either. So NBA Jam on Fire Edition is such a fantastic game. Probably my favorite arcade basketball game of all time. It never gets old playing it. And it's such a great pick up and play game, even if you haven't visited it in a while. And that all of the best NBA Jam games are like that. And it's it stands atop uh, my pyramid as well, as far as arcade games and, and certainly the NBA Jam series. And it is fun to change up the team you play with from time to time, is it not? I mean, it, it, do, it can make things more challenging. Sometimes we've found it makes things more uh, much more easier. No, oh, no, 100%. Also, I want to point out, it wasn't Larry Bird that was the toughest cover no. when we were playing the Celtics. It was Kevin McHale. Kevin McHale was dunking all over us. And if we tried to dunk on Kevin McHale and he timed his jump right, it was almost for sure a block. So um, he was definitely the toughest in those matchups. But what was your favorite team that we used tonight? So we used Dr. J and Daryl Dawkins, Kemp and Payton, Rose and Benny the Bull, and Dirk and Jason Terry. What was the favorite team uh, for you? I still think I come back to the Supersonics with the uh, 76ers being a close second because of the historical players that we were using. And uh, it's, it's always a, a fun challenge. We didn't, uh, we weren't able to do it this time, but when you can break the backboard with any player, obviously, but with someone like Daryl Dawkins, it just feels even more special when you can do that. Or Kemp, obviously, when you're playing with the, the Supersonics. But I think we just have such great chemistry in, in all games we play, obviously, but with the, with the Sonics in particular, because they have been our team of choice through a lot of the road trip, it's, I've really come to enjoy playing with them. Remember, we, we've connected with the community with the community a couple times, actually, on the same team using Parsec. So, like, four people connected. And, you know, we played Jam. And How good does it work and I, as well? Like, that's it incredible. The same, it worked. Yeah, it worked amazing. Um, but we had that same ca- chemistry when we were playing against two humans, right? And I think that that also bodes well for us, especially if we ever did, like, an NLSC tournament, right, where um, – we did four people connected for each game and everything. I still want to try to get that going, but I, just, I think that would be a lot of fun. Well, I, I still think we should be the boss battle for that tournament. We played the game a lot. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you really think about it, how many games have we played together just on the road trip doing all the challenges? Yeah, dozens at this point. We're, we're over halfway through the through the road trip, so it has to be at least... Uh, yeah, I forget how many games there are, but going through all those different challenges... Yeah, we're we're fifty percent complete, so it's definitely a lot at this point. Not not including just exhibition games and yeah, matchups with the community. Yeah, for our listeners too, just to let you know how we connected. Um, I actually we we play off of my Xbox One. Mm. Uh, so basically, I use the Xbox Companion app and load up my Xbox on my PC that way. Andrew and I connect on Parsec, so he'll connect with me, hit a button on his controller. His controller will now work on the game and it works through the companion app it's just ridiculous how how awesome this is uh and then i record our action using elgato so we got a bunch of things going on here while we're playing but still parsec works so awesome andrew's able to time his passes to me his alley-oops he's able to time when he goes up for an alley-oop time blocks push players get steals all of that stuff and just elgato xbox companion app um uh, parsec all running at the same time my xbox one obviously um and it's just it works so good so like i'm i'm floored that we're still that we're that we're even able to do this and we did that we did a stream one time 
I think you streamed to your channel at one point, and even that it was still working great with that. Yeah, I know. I just I think it's so underrated, and I love that King J Mace has really embraced it, and he's running the Elite Street League now on NBA Two K Twenty Three, and he's got a bunch of people in the community involved. He's connecting with people pretty much every single day. He's recording that footage, etc. It's just nice to see that the computer, the community as well as has like embraced Parsec. Um, and like I said, I think 2023 is going to be a big year for basketball gaming, for connecting with people on the newest and older games and whatnot. And it was nice to connect with you tonight. Absolutely. We've been meaning to do that for a couple of weeks now and finally got the opportunity. So I'm glad we were able to get on before we started recording. Uh, the ESL, of course, great stuff happening there. The only place you can see Terry Hansen at the moment because he is injured in my, my career currently still until uh, at least he's out for at least the season, unfortunately. You can hear more about that in the uh, video I posted earlier this week, which you helped out with some post-production there, as we mentioned last week. But one thing I wanted to mention about on Fire Edition, Derek, unfortunately, the servers are back offline. They have been shut down, as was reported. So if you missed out on getting the roster update, it is now, once again, gone forever. We, well, we said that before, and it did come back surprisingly. But yes, the servers are offline, unfortunately. So uh, if you didn't grab the roster update, uh, unfortunately, it is, uh, it is gone again now. Andrew was bummed, my friends. He saw me load up the Xbox, NBA Jam on Fire Edition on Xbox One, and his first message to me when he saw that it said that the servers were offline was like, yep, they're offline. Yep. Basically, <laughs> damn it. Like, basically. So, like, yeah, I mean, it is unfortunate, but I'm really glad that I can still connect with people on that game, you know, using Parsec and you know, kind of get the community involved and, you know, we can make videos for the NLSC YouTube and, and share footage on the forum or on Twitter and whatnot. So at least we can still do that. Oh, definitely. But, you know, one thing does bum me out a little bit when I play on Fire Edition is that it, it, that it is the, the last jam game to date. And I don't know, we've had Playgrounds and you, you like that one a bit more than I did, the, both Playgrounds games, you liked it a bit more than, than I did. But it's the 30th anniversary of NBA Jam this year and the license is still with EA, I believe, and they've just been sitting on it for a decade now, and that's a damn shame. Yeah, and there's no promotion of it by the company, right? Like, no promotion of the rich history. You're not seeing any activity on, like, EA's channel yeah. for it. Well, they, they didn't do that for live, for 25th anniversary, so, you know. Right, right. Like, I just I just think it's it's unfortunate that they're not keeping these games alive. It's really, like people like us and other people in the community like sweet jones otf when he was streaming it um you know stildo when he was playing it it's like it's the community that's doing their best to kind Very of keep much. this game alive yeah, so it's it's yeah it's unfortunate and it's funny with the 25th anniversary of nba live stuff all i needed to do was to retweet the stuff i was doing and they'd have content to share but whatever yeah but you're not one of the promoted yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we'll get to that on the next episode of the NLC podcast. Oh, we're yes. tabling that. Yeah. We're, 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 we're tabling that discussion, and it's going to be a really good show, and we're going to talk about you know promotion and the effect of influencers on promotion and all of that stuff and about, about who you know and, and stuff like that and who's going to promote you. So um, be ready for that on the next episode of the podcast. But I did want to bring something up. Our next session was on Hoops, which is an NES game that came out in – 1988 and in that game there's two different play options there's two on two and there's one on one and it's cool that you know a game that came out in 1988 you can team up with a buddy and play two on two on it like i think that's pretty cool 
or you can, you know, play with a computer. Um, or you teammate, can watch. You can, there's a watch option. Yeah, there's. You can even watch it. Yeah, you can watch um, them play the, the the CPU. So, but like Andrew and I jumped on this game. We had never played it together before. We played two on two versus the computer, and we got absolutely annihilated. We got smoked. We got. We lost the first game ten to one. And Andrew's message to me after we lost that game is, "Christ, we just lost to a couple of kids." Yeah. <laughs> Because of the, the characters in this game uh, run the gamut. The yes. characters, yeah, the characters in this game, they look like children. And the second game we lost ten to three, and it has some r- super frustrating two on two mechanics. But then afterwards, we played one on one against each other, and it was pretty darn fun. But I wanted you to talk about what frustrated you about that two on two experience in those two games. Well, before we started recording, we were reflecting on it, and I I think it's one of those games that it's very difficult to play against the CPU because the CPU does take advantage of the limitations to the controls and the fact that it can kind of just run into you and steal the ball. So by the time you've reacted to the action, it's already uh, caused the turnover. I think that's one of the main issues. But as a head-to-head game, it works surprisingly well, even to this day. It, It was quite a lot of fun. I'd compare it to Jordan versus Bird, even, in that regard. Yeah, so I can definitely agree with that. And actually, the shooting mechanics are similar to Jordan versus Bird on the NES. They are, so, yes, yes. Um, that's why I got the yeah, traveling. So the Jordan- I, that's why I traveled the first time, because I was expecting to hold and release instead of double tap, yeah. Yeah, but the double tapping works well on those games, because you kind of need that to stay engaged, right? It mm. needs to have, because there's only two buttons on NES and whatnot. You can't do fancy dribbling moves or anything like that. So there's got to be like some sort of skill-related feature in the game. So I, I like that they have that. So my frustrations on the two on two with hoops was you basically can't pass the ball because when you pass the ball to your teammate, it's like 90% of the time it's going to be a steal. And if you try to dribble by the CPU, they steal it the majority of the time. So you find yourself just trying to move a couple inches into a spot in relative range. And then you're just going to try to jack it up and hope, that you can hit it um that game also and it's it's really apparent when you're playing two on two has charging calls phantom charging calls that would make tecmo super nba basketball jealous the charging (laughs) calls i think you noticed that you got called for quite a few of them like you're just moving an inch in one direction and like they call you for charging because there's somebody near you so I'd say that those are the most frustrating parts of the two-on-two. However, when we got to playing one-on-one, skill mattered, and shot selection actually mattered, and how you shot the ball mattered. And that's what I like about that game. Um, Definitely a lot better for one-on-one, but your shot timing matters. Um, You want to make sure that you're mostly facing the hoop when you shoot, because if you're shooting at an angle, you have a much higher chance of bricking a shot. if you're going to go up for like a dunk at the hoop, you want to make sure that there's at least a little bit of distance between you and the defender. Otherwise you have a good chance of getting swatted like right at the rim. Um, so there's definitely skill elements. I think you would agree that are good about that game. There are. And we were actually making jump shots in the one-on-one game, which was very satisfying. And what the other part that's really satisfying blocking a dunk at the rim 
is surprisingly satisfying. Getting it, like, especially if it feels like it's not a true chase down block because it goes into a a, a cutscene when you go up for for dunk and uh, when you challenge a dunk at the rim. But it kind but of feels like a chase down it, block. It feels like it, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it, it right. does, and it's it's something very satisfying about it. That uh, yeah, I really enjoyed. And then you got a couple of great spots uh, at the end there, and 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 then the game winner, of course. So yeah, that was a, a even though I lost it, I certainly appreciate that play. As I said, nicely done. Um, swatting me there like that. Zap got zapped at the rim by uh, M Dog. Is it M Dog or Mr. Dog? It was M Dog. It was is M Dog. Top ten, Andrew. Two blocks right at the rim, and then a game winning three. I mean, it, it's, cer- it's it's certainly better than the intelli- the NBA basketball for intelligent play that we considered for the top ten. But it's uh, it's more worthy oh, my than block? that. No, my blood that, that could have been in the top ten. I suspended it in the air. That's true. Yes. Yeah. I know my guy doesn't have fingers, Andrew, but <laughs> or a face like, or any other distinguishable features. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you want to call it. Um, but no, that was fun. I think that game definitely for 1988 kind of shines for one on one. I think it's like you said, very similar mechanics to like Jordan versus Bird, except except it has the cutscenes which Jordan versus Bird does not have. And I think that you can definitely get competitive. And there's enough differentiation in the gameplay where skill matters and i think the the sequel that we were talking about last week uh, i believe kid cash uh, uh clarified that for us was uh, all pro basketball for nes and we'll have to connect on that sometime and play it too mm. i think that would be fun and that'd be good footage to upload to the uh NLSE youtube that's more team oriented that one where it's, it's kind of like a uh it's not nba licensed obviously but it's kind of like that uh, that um sim <laughs> i say sim style but that that kind of it is supposed to be a professional league, whereas this is uh, people playing uh, pickup games on the street. Right, exactly. Also, I want to point out, we, we just brought up the top 10. It was a really great top 10 this week. Uh, such A lot of great submissions from the community. Um, but I did receive a comment on the YouTube channel that stated that they appreciated the NBA 2K2 menu music. Mm. So I put the 2K2 music on there just to kind of like you know, for a change of pace and whatnot to keep things fresh and everything. And I think it goes really well with all the highlights. And I, I'm thank you to the community for all of the submissions. Um, thanks for getting into it and tuning in every week. It's, it's a lot of fun. Before we go on, a reminder that the NLSC podcast comes out every week on the NLSC, me-live.com, as well as our YouTube channel. We're also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast apps. If you're listening on any of those apps, we'd greatly appreciate a review. To keep up with the show and everything we're doing with basketball gaming in general, connect with us on social media. On Twitter and Facebook, we are The NLSC. We also have an Instagram, NLSC Basketball. And on YouTube, we're youtube.com slash NBA Live Series Center. Once again, visit us at nba-live.com, where in addition to the podcast, you'll also find all of our original content, as well as our forum and modding community. So before we get to the uh, 2K24, uh, I guess, community wish list or gameplay wish list, uh, more specifically this time around, there was another comment on the YouTube channel that we wanted to uh, very quickly address. Yeah, so I'm going to start this off by saying you had to be there, right? So remember on multiple past episodes, I talked about how NBA Fastbreak 98, when it came out, it floored us. We, we were like, I don't think games can get more realistic than this. Like, oh my God, that looks exactly like Ron Mercer. Um, you know, we thought that the graphics were amazing. We couldn't believe it. Because again, you had to be there at that time where tech was. 
at that point. Well, there was a comment on an NBA Live 99 soundtrack, one of the songs from the soundtrack that's uploaded to the NLSE YouTube that said that, you know, all, basically a lot, something along the lines of, you know, we've had, you know, there were all of these like popular artists making this great music for a game with terrible graphics. Hmm. Terrible graphics. And that's, it's just, it's a ridiculous comment because at the time NBA Live 99 was released in 1998, the people that were making music for these games, whether it be Live 99 or Live 2000 or the, or, you know, NBA 2K, you know, five when it came out, etc. the people like the people that were involved in these games and the population that were playing them and everything, that was the best of its time. Right. That was right up there with like, hey, man, wow, this is crazy. This is what this tech can achieve. Right. What these people who work on, you know, with on these consoles or on these PCs, et cetera, this is the, the best they can achieve. And it's it's amazing. And it's just it's not terrible graphics for 1998. Not only is it not terrible graphics for 1998, I still enjoy looking at those games now. Right. So. Yeah, I, I think it's a very close-minded kind of like kind of like ridiculous res- like response to that video. We see it a lot. The similar comments. Oh, I can't believe I used to think this looked good. Well, in its time, it did because it was cutting edge. And as technology marches on, <laughs> so the graphics have gotten better in uh, in most respects. We have mentioned how there's some NBA Live 2000 faces that hold their own even today. You know, I need to do an article about that. Maybe we could do a video going through some of those uh, some of those faces, like you and I did on Parsec. We connected and we were just looking at faces in NBA Live 2000 after we finished playing. And, and you're right; it, it's something that I try to keep in mind whenever I'm covering a game for Wayback Wednesday, or whether it's a, whether it's a video or it's, or an article. I will try to put that into historical perspective because and you compare it to its peers, not the its its uh, successes, because of course NBA 2K23 is going to look much better than NBA Live 99 with faces and a lot of other environmental details, because it's working with technology that that uh, is far in advance of uh, of what we had at the time. What we carry around in our pockets, our phones, is more powerful than the PCs we had to play Live 99 on, etc. But yeah, it, it's uh, I I understand where people are coming from for that, but I do think it's misguided, as you say, because. Yeah, it was, for the time, cutting edge. And it's not like those talented artists could somehow contribute to a, a better-looking product than, than they had at the time, because that's where tech was at. A couple of things. One, context matters, right? Exactly. Context of when the game was released, um, where tech was at the time, what the people that were using that tech had to work with, etc. And the second thing I want to say is, you know, some people you know, to have a really good time. Maybe they'll go out and have a drink. They'll like go to the bar with their friends or they'll go to a party or they'll, um, you know, have a night on the town, etc. For Andrew and I, it's sitting at home looking at faces on NBA Live 2000. That is a good time. <laughs> Pinnacle of a good so, time. Andrew and I did that not only with NBA Live 2000, but also with NBA Live 10. I remember that 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 morning pretty well because we spent probably a good 30 to 45 minutes that morning just going through and looking at all the different faces on NBA Live 10. That Ron Artest face, yeah. Yeah, and it was fun. And we were blown away. We were like, oh my God, that looks exactly like Ron Artest. Hey, that Ron Artest is better than, you know, the Ron Artest we've gotten in recent games, etc. So um, yeah, that's that's Andrew and my idea of fun. 
NBA Live 2000 cyber faces. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I see a comment like that, and I, I do think it's so misguided. Uh, calling it terrible. I, I wouldn't even call it terrible now because it's it's of its time. As you say, context matters. And what what was it? how much better was it supposed to be at the time, given the graphics? I mean, it got a little bit better on that generation, Live 2000 and uh, and so forth. But, yeah, I, uh, it, it sort of started as a really cool comment and then went, uh, then went sideways. Right, exactly. Um, I appreciate the soundtracks, though. I'll give him that. Like, I, I really oh, yeah. like those... NBA live soundtracks from the nineties and the early two thousands and, and whatnot. Well, talking, um, I think talking that, top 10, that's, that's been the, the theme for the top 10 for most of its uh, resurgence. Right. Exactly. And, and also what was cool about NBA live and what they did with the soundtracks is they had music that was basketball related. Like they had these artists doing these songs talking about NBA live. Right. I mean, you look at a song like, um, Blau by hot Carl. I mean, that's talking about NBA players, right? the goggles that Kurt Rambis used to sport and stuff like that. And I think that it's really neat that so many of the songs on the old NBA live soundtracks, you listen to them and it got you excited about the NBA because they're talking about the NBA and basketball. They did it's not special, just like yeah. and popular music and whatnot. They did a special cover, the NBA live mix, which would it came up on the EA tracks. They actually did that NBA live version of the song and replaced the, lyrics sometimes which were quite explicit in the actual version with basketball theme ones and it was really cool why do people love nba 2k11's uh main theme by snoop dogg the 2k11 theme that's it's great because he's talking about sliders and attributes and it's kind of crazy that you hear snoop dogg rapping about that stuff and and everything we can go online if you like um and i know you won't because and, and quite rightfully so but yeah that, that kind of stuff made those soundtracks really special and it, it is something we've lost by having just the uh, just popular music on there often has to be cut down to the radio edit, so you've got big gaps of silence in uh, in there because they've they've chosen a song that clearly doesn't fit the E10 rating. So that that's always a little bit right. funny when that happens. Well, I want to point out something: love him or hate him, Chingy's right there. Like if you actually listen to the real version of Right There, oh, he's not like NBA yeah. references. He's not talking about basketball. No, he but really isn't. The, you know, I like the way you shake and bake it right there. That's not part <laughs> it's not. of the regular real song that actually played on the radio and that's on the album that they had chingy create a song tailored to the nba and to nba live and and whatnot and that that whole song is special for that video game and it worked i think it, it was cool to listen to it on the game and you look forward to those lyrics and he's talking about players you know and he's talking about basketball so like i think that's cool and you see quite a few comments on those videos as well, uploaded the, the live mix to the YouTube channel back in the day, and people saying, I kind of prefer this to the actual song. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. Um, there's quite a few songs that they did that with where there was like a non-NBA live version and whatnot. And I, of course, loving basketball is probably the biggest reason, but I prefer the basketball version of the song. But hey, that is the past. We are looking into the future this week, 2K24. Uh, you put out the prompt this week, the discussion prompt, Derek, for uh, NBA 2K24 gameplay suggestions. And we have a few ideas ourselves too. Yeah, and I wanted to emphasize how important it is that we start this discussion now. Because NBA 2K24 is being worked on right now. That should be very obvious. And... The game, the earlier the gameplay suggestions and ideas get out there, the better chance the devs can implement them before the game is launched and whatnot. So uh, I know it's only January. 
I know that preview season isn't going to start until August or whatnot or September. I don't even know when anymore, maybe even closer to launch and whatnot. But um, this is a great time to put it all out there, what you want to see for gameplay changes and whatnot, because you got to realize that. And when I say you got to realize, I mean, talking to our listeners, there are people who have been plucked from the NLSC community to go work for NBA 2K, Jao Sming, Leftos, Vlad, and whatnot. How did they get plucked from the community? The, the, it means 2K was paying attention to what was going on on the NLSC, meaning they listen to the podcasts more than likely. They're looking in at the forums and whatnot and seeing what people are talking about. So it is imperative that you let yourself be heard and you get your ideas out there. And of course, as always, speaking up, constructively and making making it very apparent that you have intelligent and good ideas to share and, and this is a, a trap we often fall into uh, as a community when we are compiling the wish lists and we should put one together this year Derek I will make that effort in the forum this year but a trap that a lot of people fall into is just saying make the gameplay better and that that doesn't tell the developers anything well one thing I like actually is um, a few of the responses were pretty detailed and pretty specific yes uh like the live king's response um you know he and he talked and he actually referenced a stream a stream that um Dazar had and whatnot in relation relation to like passing and catching physics like that's the type of stuff that the devs want to hear they want to hear um you know detailed breakdowns that you know pinpoint what you want to see changed about the game, um, what you like about the game, what you want to see changed about the game, um, et cetera. So yeah, you got to let yourself be heard and let yourself be heard the right way. Well, would that be one of your first, uh, one of the, one of the first things you would uh, bring to mind the, the passing game then? Absolutely not. Um, but I see where he's coming from and I know from talking with him that he has some other concerns, similar ones that I do with the game. Um, yeah, I guess I can start this uh, off by saying what, I would change gameplay wise. And I've talked about it on prior shows. Uh, Skating is still really bad in 2k. And it's been that way since um, NBA 2k 18, since they made the switch to the new motion system, they they really need proper foot planting and whatnot. So better foot planning is one-on-one because it's so important because foot planning impacts what's going on the floor going on on the floor so much and nothing is more important than having control of your player whether it be stopping on a dime to shoot um whether it be you know stopping trying to stop and then move forward again so like accelerate after a quick stop etc like it, it impacts outcomes when there's a lot of skating in the game and you can feel it whether you're using a player off ball or you you have the ball and whatnot. So skating, um, so better foot planning, less suction, so less slow motion side-by-sides, less suction. That's um, number two. Those are the two big areas. Those are the two big things that I would would fix gameplay-wise. Um, free, the shooting. I think the shooting is the worst this year than it has been possibly ever in the series as far as the the way it works on contested shots um the way release timing works the game didn't even get released with a normal release timing because they worked on it too late in the um, cycle according to mike wong so shooting definitely needs to be reworked and may it needs to make sense again um so that's another one and 
there's those are the three main ones i would say for me what what about you i I would certainly agree with that and the 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 late release the release timing settings that you were talking about that uh, the baluba mentioned came in very late i I think is also also speaks to a, a problematic approach to design where we're getting things in the game before they're quite ready and 2K18, of course, stands as the most triumphant example. Triumphant, using using the word quite ironically here. But it, it is the most, uh, perhaps, egregious example of that, shall we say, of introducing some ideas and some tech before it's completely ready and having to have Band-Aid fixes and whatnot just to make it work somewhat, uh, somewhat properly. Playing 2K14 as I have been, when I go back, back and forth between 2K14 and 2K23, I'm really struck by just how heavy 2K23 feels. And, and I know they're going for the heft of the player and they don't want to have uh, players waterbugging around too much or, or not feeling like it's realistic movement. But I think I do think they are they have gone too far as making the players too heavy. And it, it... Well, the change of direction is clunky even. It doesn't matter. It, like, it's not just like, sorry to interrupt, but it's not just using big guys. Like, change of direction is clunky in general. Yes, ex- exactly. In it... that game. And it's just weird because like your player doesn't move naturally when he tries to like turn his body and then move again. Um, same, whether it's with the ball or without the ball. And then like when you try to accelerate, it feels clunky a lot of the time as well. Oh, so oh I for, agree. For, for sure. For sure. And not, not just 2k 14 recently. I've been playing a bit of 2k 16 on PC, uh, just playing through the my career story, just to finish the story to, uh, so that I can get some screenshots uh, for future articles and so forth. Uh, so, but again, playing that 2K16 in a very similar motion system to 2K14 and 15, it's not labeled the eco motion system anymore, so I'm not sure whether they changed anything up there behind the scenes, but it certainly feels very similar and feels great compared to 2K23. I want a bit more freedom of that movement, a little less clunkiness, a lot less clunkiness, actually, and of course, the sucking, the suction that you mentioned comes into play there. But getting the feel of the game on the sticks, that freedom of movement, not feeling like you're trying to make a 90-degree turn with a Mack truck with a, uh, with a spry guard is, uh, is something I really think they need to address moving forward. Yeah, and I, I think that the dribbling and you've been playing 2k14 i see how much fun you have with it i think that the dribbling has got has regressed and declined in the newer games and i think a large portion of that is the the feeling too of trying to change directions and whatnot with the dribble as well but ball warping is a thing it's a big thing since nba 2k18 and the ball just switching hands rapidly and it looks really awkward and odd and unnatural and everything i think the dribbling doesn't feel as good as it has in many past games including a game like nba 2k 14 so i guess for me there's five different things so it would be it needs better foot planning that's one improvement better foot planning less suction better shooting so more realistic shooting more fair to the gamer shooting um more shooting that makes sense in in like real basketball terms and whatnot um and please release 2k24 with normal release timing as an option and that should be the default option um change of direction so like player movement almost in general but like the change of direction the feel of that the look of that make it less clunky make it less weird looking and whatnot and then um 
the dribbling. I, I, I think the dribbling, I have more fun dribbling the ball on NBA 2K17, on NBA 2K14, NBA 2K15. There's less ball warping. Um, you can go behind the back when you want. Um, there's, it just looks more realistic. It feels more realistic and it's less cheesy. So those would be like the five main things that I would um, pay attention to if I was a developer on NBA 2K. As far as the dribbling goes, I think my biggest complaint still is that some of the basic moves like a behind the back are performed with a more difficult movement of the stick like the, now it's it has to be that rotated and that angular uh angular movement of the stick whereas before it was just uh either away if you're using camera relative or down if you're using the uh, controls just made more sense it, it, yeah, yeah it was more if you're using, user um, friendly uh yeah absolute as i do so just it, it just live made the same mistake on the last generation as well making some of the more complex moves uh some, some of the easy moves rather more complex movements of the stick and I, I think the easier moves should be the easier movements of the stick or the more straightforward movements of the stick and tougher moves more complex dribbles should be more complex moves to me that just seems just natural that, that, that seems logical to do it that way so that, i would change that as far as the controls apart from that i do generally like the controls of of NBA uh, 2K23 uh, and, and recent games. I will say, of course, the ability to turn off the uh, alley-oop meter, uh, turn off that mechanic as well, uh, make it at least offline. By all means, enforce it online for a skill gap, as much as a skill gap as you want to call it, but allow it to be turned off offline if you don't want to play with it. No, no, I agree with that. And, you know, my brother and I have gotten used to it, mm. but we hate the appearance of the meter. Yes. Like just seeing it is a huge eyesore and it's huge and it's right at the rim and there's no way to avoid it other than turning all gameplay in indicators off on next gen. And then if you're playing on PC, you don't or like Xbox one or PS4, you don't have the option to turn it off. Like there's no you can't turn all gameplay indicators off. And for PC, you have to use a mod in order to like remove it. I also want to point out that don't think that I'm like disregarding the importance of good defensive mechanics. I think that some of the things that I'm talking about as far as having better foot planning and whatnot and um, better change of direction and more realistic acceleration and everything, that is huge for playing defense because, it, you know, we're talking about, you know, sliding your feet and planting properly, um, being able to, you know, from a standstill, get out to a shooter like you would be able to in real life if you're in clo close proximity as opposed to, like, trying to run out on him. But you're like you said, like you said, like it's like trying to, like, move a Mack truck and he's already got the shot up in the air when you should have been able to get there, etc. Like better foot planning, better change of direction more realistic foot planning and change of direction, et cetera, will absolutely help on defense. And I also think the EI, the AI overall defensively does need to improve as well. Uh, I think that, for example, like if you're playing my team or whatnot or, or my NBA and you're using Shaq or something like that, like they will double him every game, like all the time, no matter what. Uh, and it doesn't matter if, you start using somebody else and you're killing them on the block or just constantly scoring on them, they're not going to start doubling you. Like that's at least with my experience, they'll just keep doubling that same player that they started off the game doubling. Right. So I think that the AI can definitely improve in that regard. I think they get lost on defense and get hurt by the game's mechanics as well in relation to foot planning and changing of direction and whatnot, because once they're, like body 
is not positioned properly, there's no recovering from for them, no matter what, because of the way change of direction, mecha- um, direction mechanics work and acceleration mechanics and foot planning work. So, um, like I said, those five things I mentioned earlier, though, are the primary for me as far as changes. And I would probably take the steel mechanics from 2K14 through 2K17 over what we have currently. I know they're a bit better this year, but I still don't like them as much as the uh, the older games, which I felt were very balanced. You st- you couldn't just reach in willy-nilly. You, you would still get fouls if you uh, are too aggressive, but I still felt they worked a lot better than more recent games. Well, I want to point something out. NBA 2K17 might have the best steel mechanics. And the reason why is because both when the offensive player is holding the ball just with two hands, like he's holding out his waist or whatever, you can get those steals. You can poke the ball away realistically. And there's multiple animations to do that, whether you hit the ball up straight up in the air or you poke it past him, like out of his hands and then it goes past him, etc. And it feels good to get steals when the player is dribbling, if you time it right. And it's great to get steals in the passing lanes as well. So like, NBA 2K17 has very, very strong steel mechanics. And I agree with you. I think one of the problems with NBA 2K23, and it's actually ever since we switched motion systems, you notice we bring that up a lot. It's been since 2K18. But if somebody is holding the ball, like at their waist or something, and you push the steal button, you're like, there's almost a 0% chance you're poking that ball out. It's like, like you would say that it's like pressing steel to foul and whatnot. so, So, So basically what you find yourself doing um, since 2K18 is when the player is – you wait for the player to put the ball on the floor, and then you basically try to rub your body up against the ball (laughs) while they're dribbling, and maybe you'll hit the steal button and the ball will hit your elbow or something like that, and then the ball gets jarred, and then you run down the court, right? And that's frustrating because you you always feel like in the newer games that the – the the player has to have the ball on the floor for you like be dribbling for you to be able to get a steal the majority of the time so yeah i definitely agree there that the the steal mechanics could be reworked and of course the other thing i'll mention perhaps the final thing that comes to mind immediately is the reliance on badges the artificial boosts which as we've said before such a huge impact on the gameplay particularly in the online scene and uh, in my career in particular but it still comes to it still comes out in the nba side of gameplay as well well, I figured that was a given. I didn't even mention that for that reason. Like we've talked about that so many times on sure. this show about how artificial boosts really hurt the game. It, re- it truly hurts skill gap. Um, it creates some really weird, unnatural animations. I think the example that I've used um, on past episodes is if you have a certain like rim protector badge and you're like, I don't know, eight feet or five to eight feet or something away from the offensive player, you, your body will like transfer to the offensive player to get a block or to contest a shot that you in real life would have a 0% chance of getting to. But the game creates this stupid, artificial, ridiculous looking animation just because you have like a gold rim protector, right? Exactly. So that's like, I think artificial boosts really destroy skill gap and overall they, they hurt the gameplay. And it really is, it really does feel like an online uh, element that they're, they're, they're trying to create this this meta that people need to work out and potentially waste money on building uh, unsuitable builds and then starting all over again, of course, or have, have to get to 90 overall so they can respec or, or do the rebirth uh, quest in, in my career. So it's, uh, I mean, 
that that's the whole other thing is that there's a lot of other things beyond basketball recurrent revenue mechanics that do drive the design of these games and that does affect the gameplay and that that is a damn shame but yeah if, if, there, if there's any way to reduce those artificial boosts and have less reliance on them that's going to make a better basketball game no 100 percent. and i also want to point out this is why i said on so many episodes prior that nba 2k 23 i got my money's worth and my and my brother and i have a co-op season uh, you know my nba with legends against regular teams and we're 62 games into that season it's a lot of hours on the game I, I played a few of the domination challenges and whatnot. Why? Because that's loose, clean, non-competitive fun, right? The moment you try to get competitive with 2K23 and you try to play super competitive against a human um, or against the computer, etc., the game falls apart, in my opinion. And for it's for all the reasons that I just mentioned. All the issues are amplified. It, it's just, it ends up becoming super frustrating at times. And when I say that, I mean, I'm talking about probably when you're playing truly competitive on higher levels. So like if you're playing, and by the way, if you're being truly competitive, you're probably playing on the higher levels. So it's like superstar and hall of fame, whether it's against a human or a computer, I think the game falls apart when you're playing it competitively. And I think it probably falls apart competitively online, and you've talked about that before. Oh, it definitely does. It definitely does. There's a lot of people just working at the metagame and just putting that to just have a, a great build. And we saw that with uh, when we revived NLC Thrillho, and we had some a lot of fun for the first month, the first season or so of the game, and then we came back to it, and people had been on the grind or paying for upgrades, and they'd worked out the meta, and they had these overpowered builds, and it, it was just no longer basketball anymore. Yeah. And that's when it becomes not fun and, and, and whatnot. So let's make our voices heard. Let's talk about what the community um, said to my mailbag question. And uh, I'm, you and I are pretty much on the same page, I would say, as far as like our critiques of the game and what we'd like to see improved. I think so. I think so. So let's, uh, let, let's indeed go to those uh, community responses now. Uh, first up, we have Sweet Jones underscore OTF says, Bully mode. Allow using the elite players to feel like it. And this has long been a problem with various games over the years, if, I, if I'm understanding his suggestion correctly, Derek, that when you have those star players who do dominate, who are very difficult to, to guard in real life, or, or who are very uh, dominant at the defensive end, uh, conversely, that it doesn't feel like it in games. And there's been times when I've been playing my team and we have a pretty good Michael Jordan card, for example, and going up against a, oh, I don't know, Enos Cantor, Enos Freedom, and he's keeping pace with MJ and, and locking him down on defense. And he, MJ should be blowing by him much easier. And I think and it's that idea of elite play is not really being able to play like themselves, if that's what he's getting at. I definitely agree with. Oh, no, 100%. And I think it really shows when you're trying to use like a Patrick Ewing like his real self, right? Or like a David Robinson, you know, players that could really knock down that mid-range shot or, you know, fade over their shoulder and whatnot or who could jab step at an elbow or whatnot throw a pump fake and then drive by and score and everything the game mechanics just don't work well for players like that and they have in games in the past like you can't use kg realistically at all in nba 2k 23 but i can throw on nba 2k 17 or nba 2k 14 um or um nba 2k 16 etc and i can use kevin garnett like hit like he played in real life i can 
get him on the elbow. I can make a quick spin move to the hoop or I can face him up. I can, you know, make a jab step, make him back up a little bit and smoke a mid range jumper. Um, I can turn over my shoulder like Ewing did in real life and hit fadeaways and it looked great and feel great, etc. Uh, I think using a guy like Daryl Dawkins is super frustrating, even in like a my team setting, because they make his set shot. I mean, his, his, his jump shot in real life, it was a jump shot with a high release. They make him shoot a set shot and he can't hit anything unless he's dunking the ball. And that is incredibly unrealistic. I've watched games where Dawkins, the majority of his shots were mid range jumpers and whatnot. So like, I can't use Daryl Dawkins like his real life counterpart. So I do think it's a big issue. I think that the game's mechanics and a lot of the issues that I mentioned earlier um, are, you know, a big reason why you can't use them right. Not only that, the signatures are usually off for a lot of these players. Players with jump shots and in high releases have set shots and they're shooting from their face, etc. Sometimes they have like a D minus on mid range, even though they were a very good mid range shooter. Um, and then obviously the way the shooting mechanics work, they're not going to hit those shots anyways, even if they had a higher rating and there was somebody in their space and whatnot. Um, you know, the suction that I talked about, which ruins the post game and the high post game, uh, et cetera. So like, I definitely 100% agree with him. And I think they've taken many steps back and declined in a big way um, when it comes to that. Next up, we have the live King, Steve from the dot says, uh, as you alluded to at the uh, top of the segment, in one of Desire's streams, he was talking about how difficult it was to tune the catching and passing animations, one aspect hurting 2K's gameplay. That needs to be improved along with acceleration on the fast breaks. Still players slow down, allowing the D to catch up, which again is that suction issue uh, coming to play once again. Yeah, so as far as the acceleration thing, there's something weird with NBA 2K23 that bothers me is you'll outlet the ball and say your guy is at half court and you're holding sprint and you just started holding sprint. That guy's not tired or anything like that, or you haven't abused the sprint control and he will run to the hoop with his back straight. Like he's not even like running forward. Like he doesn't look like a real, he's not pushing the ball. It looks like he's walking yet. He's moving at a slightly faster pace than walking. And a lot of times when this happens, your defender can like catch up. Uh, it just looks super awkward um i think that the overall player movement and the running animations and everything have just been pretty poor since the new motion system was implemented in 2k18 but i definitely agree with the acceleration issues and the pace issues which i know the live king mentioned and has had issues with in the past as far as passing and catch passing and catching catching animations i think that the biggest weakness isn't as much passing like i think the passing's pretty good in nba 2k 23 i have fun with it i like the ability to do like a like an outlet pass they've definitely improved on that in the new iterations of the game where you can actually you know throw the ball 20 30 feet in front of you to a teammate and he'll catch it and it won't just sail over his head um, i think that where it can be improved is the heavy catching animations for no reason where there's times when you make a pass, a very simple pass and your, your teammate will catch the ball and it will be a super slow, long gather animation where it shouldn't be. And that interrupts a play that should have been able to take place had he caught it normally and been able to react normally to the ball. But I definitely see where he's coming from, especially with the acceleration 
comment. With those gather animations, those awkward and lengthy gather animations that are quite uh, clunky, do you think it's a, an uh, an attempt to at adding some false balance, if you will, to try and make it a bit more difficult, or perhaps try and replicate the the, the fact that sometimes players do bubble passes, easy, even easy ones, it's trying to add some realism, but just making it more frustrating instead? Well, my theory is, is and I'm going to go back to the acceleration piece to kind of answer this question. My theory is that the issue with 2K22, which was worse in 2K22 than it was with 20, 2K23, where you would catch the ball and when you were trying to sprint up court with the ball to get to finish the play, your player would automatically do like a hesitation Mm. and it would slow you down and it would allow the defense to catch up a little bit my theory is and i'm not saying that this is the case but it's possible that they realized during the development cycle that the offense was too fast and too overpowering and that they wanted to create some balance in the gameplay and by creating that hesitation it wouldn't make fast breaks too dominant right it wouldn't make the offense too dominant and that is my opinion so do i think that's what's happening with the gatherer animations on passing i don't know but i do believe that that hesitation dribble um which was so apparent and happened all the time when you tried to accelerate on nba 2k22 i do think that that my theory is that they were trying to balance out the game and not make the offense too overpowering and that was one of their ways to make it so you weren't just running up the court and scoring every time. Oh, it makes sense. These, these little ways of, of adding, again, fake balance, if you will, and, and, uh, and nerfing certain uh, aspects of the game, that's how they do it, adding those little hitches and, uh, and catch-ups and, and suction and everything. It's all done for, for balance, but it, can, it ends up ruining the feel of the game. Oh, no, 100%. And people were really frustrated with that uh, hesitation dribble that was happening in 2K22 all the time. They were like, why can't my guy just catch the ball and push the ball forward like you would in real life? Right? So, yeah, people were frustrated with that. Next up, we have Shady Mike Gaming says, foot planting and gather animations. It's the worst it's been in the last 10 years. So that's what he'd like to see improved. Well, foot planting, we just talked about it, right? I've been yelling about the skating from the rooftop rooftops since NBA 2K18. I mean, I created a whole thread about it and whatnot on the NLSC on the NLSC. Um, The foot planning is absolutely terrible. You can even see it when their player is just standing. He's supposed to be standing still, but his feet are just like sliding around almost like he's floating above the court and whatnot. It just dramatically impacts the gameplay it dramatically impacts feel it dramatically impacts control um it's also visually appalling like it's visually frustrating so yeah foot planning i, I definitely agree with that next up we have a comment from Railhouse. It says i can't play 2k anymore it's not for me animation wars abusive controls unfair outcomes no online discipline don't see them making huge strides to gameplay slash mechanics they don't have any competition to make them raise the bar just like I don't believe Madden will make that leap also. And yeah, Animation Wars. That's what stood out to me. Animation Wars, meaning he feels like the game is basically an animation fight as opposed to a skill fight. And that's right? a, yeah, the, like, when, they, when it, people say it's a skill gap and it comes down to animation selection, either what you've assigned to your player or what is triggered in the moment, not always specifically triggered. You've, you've just triggered the type of animation and you've just happened to get a great one or a bad one. Yeah, Animation Wars is a great way of putting it. Right. And I think Animation Wars goes along with the suction too, right? 
like it's like the suction that I was talking about. That's an animation issue. That's you being like basically forced to be attached to your player or to attach to a player in a situation where you shouldn't be attached to that player and whatnot. And like I said, that hurts the post game. That hurts the face up game. That hurts so many different things, the defensive game, etc. So like, yeah, no, I definitely understand where he's coming from. And you also mentioned control. Um, I've talked about it before. The reason why a lot of times I can have fun, more fun with a game, even like say NBA live 2004, right? I can have more fun on the sticks in a competitive atmosphere on NBA Live 2004 than NBA 2K23, not because the game looks better, not because the game has more features, but because the control I have over my player, right? The control I have over the action. So I know what he's talking about. Next up, we have Sticky Fingers says, fix sliding, skating, the Naruto running animation, and dumber AI than 2K16. A real gap for players with fast first step like MJ AI and point guard versus power forward center a real gap for bully players with strong body like lebron or Giannis. and side note no hope that no hope that anything of that will be included so yeah i think a lot of people are feeling a little bit uh, uh skeptical that some of these changes will be made because a lot of people seem to defend or, or, or like the the current approach but uh yeah i think there are some solid suggestions there and i know that uh some of this stuff is even bothering him more probably over the last few months because he's been absolutely addicted to nba 2k16 and nba 2k16 um is a pretty sim feeling basketball video game it has excellent foot planning it has an amazing post game it has a great high post game it has the feeling of being able to play bully ball like sweet jones um also suggested and whatnot um and it has better shooting mechanics. So, like, there's a lot of advantages to NBA 2K16 over um, NBA 2K23. Also, NBA 2K16 is a game that my brother and I have played on the same team, either using regular teams or legends and whatnot versus the computer. And we've played a lot of games that way. And the AI is much smarter, actually, from an offensive standpoint and much harder to stop than the CPU AI, as in if you close out, if you're late to close out on NBA 2K16, like late to close out on a shooter, uh, there's a chance you're just going to get burned, right? But on NBA 2K23, if you're in the vicinity of the CPU shooter, it's like they miss like almost every single time, right? So like I find that the AI is harder and better overall in NBA 2K16 than 2K23 as well. So him playing NBA 2K16 right now, he must be even more upset about gameplay direction in the newest 2Ks. Well, it's like we said before, you go back to these more recent uh, releases sometimes and you find that things are actually better. Yeah, they, and that's the thing. is it's, And it's okay to say that. Because why are we saying it? Because we want the newer games to improve, right? Um, so we're, we're not coming from a malicious place saying this. Or nostalgia, or just nostalgia goggles. It's not a case of Right, that. it's not just nostalgia, exactly. Speaking of AI, uh, Vapor says, uh, AI needs to be reworked to better understand spacing and off-ball IQ. AI still runs straight out of bounds if you pass on the ball on the wing if they're still moving. So, yeah, little things like that, too, being cleaned up. Yeah, I, I think that the AI can be fun to play against sometimes. And I use the example of Chris Paul. Uh, Chris Paul, his signature package is excellent. It shoots just like him. Um, overall, he plays like Chris Paul on the floor and stuff. So, like, there are moments where the game can shine from a signature perspective and from, like, an AI perspective. But when it comes to, like, playing 
team basketball um, and counting on your CPU teammates and whatnot to do the right thing or to cut or like to defend a pick and roll properly or a pick and pop um, to, you know, fight around that screen when they should have or switch, etc. When you're starting to count on them on that stuff, that's when problems start arising. And I think that's what he's talking about is he's, t- you know, he probably plays with maybe he does like a player lock or whatnot. Maybe he's playing my career. I'm not sure what he's doing exactly. But if you're counting on the computer, you can see like a lot of those issues present themselves. And at I am slash underscore says movement, both off ball movement and transition movement. Yeah. I mean, player movement in general. <laughs> yeah. I'll just say that like player movement movement in general, I think is um, problematic. And it's for all the reasons that I already mentioned. And uh, Phil Lime, 2002, shout out to you as always. Uh, it's actually based on a suggestion that you made, Derek. Uh, I want more bounces when the ball hits the rim, also when it's a made basket. Yeah, I, I said this um, on an earlier episode. You notice that they also did a patch recently where it made it so sometimes the ball buries a little bit. Like, it's not always a swish anymore. It's like sometimes the, the ball will just, like, bury in and or, or drain, etc. So... It looks like they patched, I think even in the patch notes, it said, try, it said like adding more variation to makes. So maybe they listened to the NLSC podcast, who knows, but that didn't add realistic rim physics as far as like the ball bouncing in. Like I've played countless games on NBA 2K23 and there has not been one case of the ball bouncing off the front of the rim, then the back of the rim and in or the front of the rim, then the backboard, and then in. Or hitting, like, dinging the side of the rim and then falling in. Like, the rim physics have really regressed. I mean, we have games in, like, you and I played NBA Live 99. Let's give an example there. You have games that were made over 20 years ago where you can shoot a shot and the ball will hit the rim a few times and then go in, right? Exactly, yeah. Or you'll get that high bounce like I had on NBA Live 96 with D Brown. Um, (laughs) it's super high bounce and then it will drop into the hoop. You have more realistic rim mechanics in games that came out two over two decades ago. So I think that it's definitely a point of immersion. I want to do a thing where, you know, I get into the seams and I throw up a floater with Tony Parker or something, or let's use a, a now player, Darius Garland. I throw up a floater with Darius Garland and it dings the front of the rim, dings it again. And then, drops into the hoop right exactly like i want to see that so um yeah no i definitely think that rim rim mechanics can be improved and uh juicy Shackmeat says improved lob passing it gets kind of annoying to lose a great find because either the lob pass animation is terrible or cpu teammates can't position well because they don't appear to anticipate it and i absolutely agree that's one of those issues that's been going on for years i mean we've talked about nba live 10 maybe some of the worst lob mechanics in uh in possible gaming history because of the way that works especially after that first patch and we do see it in other games as well even 2k14 you know much you know how much i love throwing lobs in 2k14 derek but there are times when i'll throw it to uh, a player at the rim but it goes to someone on the other side of the rim and it all just completely out of bounds even though it's it should be a, a very easy lob to make and we still see that in 2k23 uh, i mean once again the the whole situation with the lob uh, mini game the the lob meter the elliot meter is something that uh you, you we have uh, differing opinions on but regardless of that that logic of the past the, the getting that right animation and going to the right teammate is is crucial so i agree with that too 
Yeah, and I also think that one of the biggest problems with NBA 2K's law of mechanics is if a player is going towards the rim and it looks like he's getting baseline. Let's get let's use that as an example. And he'll get interrupted by a defender who's not even paying attention just because that defender is like just because he like makes small contact with like the defender's arm, right? Like he'll barely make contact. And then that lob you threw your, the, your teammate won't even jump for it. The ball will just go like sailing out of bounds. And that's unrealistic. It's like anytime uh, a player like is in your vicinity and you barely touch him, your, your, your offensive player will just stop. And the, the pass doesn't have a chance, which is incredibly unrealistic. So um, that's another big problem. That's probably my biggest problem with alley-oops is seeing the player cut from the baseline. He looks like he has a clean path to the hoop. And then the ball just kind of goes sailing out of bounds because he doesn't even jump for it. Yes. So that's yeah. my biggest pro- problem with alley-oops. And that's, an, uh, that's kind of been happening for years as well. Oh, it's a huge issue with 2K19. Um, and it happens with 2K17 as well, which is one of my favorite NBA 2Ks of all time. It's definitely an issue and I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not saying that that's easy to fix either. I understand the programming trouble with that and how hard that would be to code and animate properly. But yeah, it's still an issue. So some great suggestions across the board there. I think we agree with uh, the, what the community is saying. I think we're kind of all on the same page there. Uh, we are focusing on gameplay in this particular episode. Uh, we may circle back to some some modes and other features in the future. In fact, I'm sure we will. But uh, to that point, I will end on this one last uh uh, comment here we had Derek from uh, Snake 2022 uh, just give us the freaking option to save our created rosters offline for PC by the way and and yeah obviously we, we although we did focus on gameplay this time around those kinds of things are important to mention in wishlist as well right because we don't want the games to be disposable we you know, we mm. want people to be able to save their rosters offline and then be able to access them years down the road right you and I have been revisiting titles for NBA Live 2000 um you know, NBA Live 95, Live 96. And what are we playing on those ro- on those games? We're playing custom rosters, right? Exactly, yeah. So we want people to be able to, you know, we want these games to be preserved. We want people to be able to have fun with them years down the road because it's all about fun, right? Um, so I definitely see where he's coming from. So thank you so much for those responses and uh, stay tuned for that wishlist topic in the forum. I will be posting that ASAP. In fact, I'll make an effort to make sure that's up by the time this podcast goes out. And uh, and yeah, just get onto that and I'll shoot that through to our contacts at 2K. Obviously, we, we do know a couple of people there, so I'll shoot that through ASAP. Because once again, Derek, the sooner we can get these suggestions in, uh, the better chance we have of possibly being implemented in 2K24. Yeah, and Andrew, I also want to say too that I'm really impressed and happy with the community's responses to my mailbag question there because they were pretty specific. Absolutely. Right? And that is exactly what the devs need. That's what they want, um, et cetera. So, like, thank you for being detailed and, you know, touching on some pain points and a lot of similar pain points that I have. But that wasn't the only mailbag prompt we had this week. We also had a more traditional uh, trivia, a quiz mailbag question as well. So, Derek, let's keep the interaction with the community going and open it up. To the mailman. So I asked the community, uh, can you name the top three-point shooters in NBA Live 06 for PlayStation 2? And I know that this title is one of your favorite, if not your favorite, NBA Live of all time. 
And I put nine players out there, their overalls anyway, 88, 88, 87, 87, 85, 85, 85, 84, and 84. And I listed whether they were a starter or a bench player, et cetera. What blows my mind about NBA Live 06 is there's not one shooter in the entire NBA that got a 90 overall rating. That's crazy. Um, But I think that you're going to be able to get a few of these names because you love this NBA Live. Yeah, it's just a matter of remembering the uh, the top shooters around that time. And, of course, the default ratings are not the ones that I put in my uh, in roster updates because I'm sure I did boost a few of them above 90 over the years. But uh, that is interesting that none of those none of the top-rated three-point shooters have over 90 because there's definitely some shooters in the, in the league at that time that deserved it. Oh, no, 100%. So when you're making your guesses here, just don't worry about putting them in order or guessing the correct overall Let's see how many names you can guess. Sure. I'll just throw them out. Three strikes are out. Three strikes are out. I'll just uh, throw them out as they come to mind. So I'm going to say Pager. Yep. He's 88 overall, so he's tied for the best in the NBA. Uh, Ray Allen. Yep. Ray Allen is 87 for a three-point rating. Uh, Michael Red. Michael Red. Yep. One of the most awkward yet smooth releases in basketball history, that over-the-head shot. He is 85 from three. So he's on the list. I'm going to say, I'm going to go a bit out of the box here. Brent Barry? Nope, no Brent Barry. He is uh, he is 80 for a three-point rating, uh, but he is not in the top nine. Hmm. Let's see. Mike Bibby? Bibby is an 80 for a three-point rating. He is not in the top nine, so two strikes. Ooh, two strikes in a row. Uh, Kyle Corver? Kyle Corver is tied with Pedro for the best three-point rating in the game. So, yep. That is, he's he's 88 on three-point rating. It's tough. One of your favorite players of all time, Andrew. Oh, Ben Gordon? Ben Gordon, yes. He's 84 for a three-point rating, and he is in the top nine. Uh, I'll also say Kirk Heinrich, because I, I, I somehow remember him having uh, shooter freestyle superstars. Very close. So Kirk Heinrich is not in the top nine, but he was an 80 ah. on three-point rating. But I think you got five of them, so that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, trying to remember it and trying to remember the default ratings is uh, certainly makes it challenging. Yeah, I know. I probably would. I'd struggle if I was on your end as well. So I'm going to go through them before we get to the community's responses. I put this prompt out late, so we only have three responses. Um, but it's Pedro, 88 three point rating, Corver, 88, Ray Allen, 87, Damon Jones, 87, Michael Red, 85, Vashawn Leonard, 85. Mike Miller, 85, Ben Gordon, 84, and Catino Mobley, 84. No, that, that list makes a lot more sense now that you, now that you read it out. Yeah, it's uh, the, the players that I, I know all those players, but then when you try to put on the spot and try to remember them and their ratings, yeah, that uh, it, does, it does trip me up. Well, so here's some uh, notables for the community. Jim Jackson, 83, Steve Nash, 83, Joe Johnson, 83, Richard Lewis, 83. Fred Hoiberg, 83. Eric Piatowski, 83. Jamal Crawford, 82. Uh, Let's see here. There's a couple other notables, too. Paul Pierce, 80. Chauncey Billups, 81. Um, Dirk Nowitzki is 80. I feel like that should be higher. I'm surprised that Dirk's not higher. That is is low, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, especially as a superstar three-point shooter as well. Kobe 
80. Like, I don't think Kobe should be the same as Dirk from three. And let's see, Vince Carter, an 80. Allen Houston, an 80. Oh, I forgot. Quentin Richardson is an 83. The legend Walter McCarty is an 80. Mike Bibby, 80, like I mentioned. So those are some of the other uh, notables. Richard Lewis was 83 as well. And again, some names that certainly make sense there. But yeah, I guess Kobe's is high because of the a couple of years earlier he set the three point record with twelve in a game. Was Daniel Marshall on that list? Sorry, no, Daniel Marshall was not on that list. Because yeah, because of course he held at the for a time he held that record uh, jointly with Kobe with twelve threes in a game. So yeah, interesting. Although not a prolific, uh, capable but not maybe not prolific three point shooter outside of that uh, that one game. So getting to the community's responses now, uh, King J. Mace uh, says Pager got to be in there somewhere. And yeah, obviously he was. That was a safe guess, but a good one because he was the top overall three-point shooter in the game. Next up, Gilbert's Grape says, uh, never played Live 06 for the PS2, OG Xbox, but if you had to guess, top three, Ray Allen, Michael Red, and Steve Nash. And not top three, but did get a couple there. Nash should be higher mm. from a three. He was such a knockdown three-point shooter. And no offense to Ben Gordon, who I love, but I think that Steve Nash shouldn't be lower than him. I'd have to look at the percentages for that year yeah, and whatnot, but I'm pretty sure that Steve Nash was as good or better of a three-point shooter at that point um, than you know Ben Gordon. And I know that Damon Jones is going to get a high rating because that's all he did, really. Like, he was a three-point gunner. That's what Damon Jones's role was throughout his career, very much like Eddie House, right? Eddie House was known as the guy that's going to like come in and light it up from three. But I'm still not taking Damon Jones as a three-point shooter over Steve Nash because Steve Nash was a 10 times better shot creator, right? So I know that if I need somebody to create a three and whatnot or shoot an off-balance three, et cetera, I'm going to go with Steve Nash. So yeah, I, I think Steve Nash should be a, a little bit higher overall. And Sweet Jones OTF once again says, Dirk, Pager, Ray Allen, Ben Gordon... Hedo, Rashad Lewis, Chauncey Billups, Camilo Anthony, and Quentin Richardson. Yeah, Hedo and Dirk, um, good guesses there. Like, I, I think those are very fair. Carmelo was not shooting the three ball really well yet. Um, in fact, uh, I want to reference, even though Live 06 isn't based on this season, in like 06, 07, uh, Melo shot, I think, 28% from three or 27% for three or something like that. And then he picked it up again the next year. And I think he shot like in the mid thirties from, you know, for a three point percentage. So I don't think Mello was a good enough three point shooter yet to be one of the best in the game. Um, but I think that Hito and uh, Derek were good guesses there. But you always have a couple of players who are kind of overrated in uh, three point shooting. Uh, the, the two that stand out to me uh, that I remember, of course, I think it was live 2004, 2000, live 2005, maybe it might have been 06, actually, is Yao Ming uh, with a 75 for some reason. Actually, it might have been live 2003, but he had a 75 in one of those years. And, of course, uh, Dino Raja in NBA Jam Tournament Edition had a rating of 9, a maximum rating of 9, and he didn't hit a single 3 in his career. So sometimes you get those oddities. Yeah, I think the Yao Ming thing, um, I still say it has to do with that pre-draft hype. Right. The pre coming over to the NBA hype where they had that video that went on like ESPN or something like that, showing him shooting from range or something. And they were like, oh, this guy's going to be able to come in and hit threes. Yeah, and then like the yeah. video games were the video games were still living off of that hype and making him have like a good three point rating. I don't know what's going on with Dino Raja there on NBA Jam. Though. 
Yeah, that's that's one of the weirdest ratings I think I've seen in uh, in video games. That uh, that might be another topic for another time too. After we've done some research and uh, found some prominent uh, examples. Yeah, we could do a whole show on that. Definitely. But thank you once again to everybody who participated in the mailbag. Uh, yeah, these quizzes, as I said last week, Derek, a lot of fun to do. Yeah, I have a blast with them. I, I like putting them together. It's fun doing the research, kind of like how, how you have a lot of fun doing research for the articles that you write for the NLSC. I kind of get my kicks doing the trivia in that way. I get to put these games on. I get to go through the ratings and, and whatnot. And then I get to discover things that maybe I never saw before or forgot. So it's it's a lot of fun. Oh, there's plenty of reasons to revisit old games. You don't you don't need to give us much of an excuse. Right, like tonight, NBA Jam on Fire edition and hoops from NES, and both were fun. But uh, that has brought us to the end of the show. As always, we thank you for tuning in and invite you to join us again next week, either on the NLSC, nb-live.com, our YouTube channel, or your podcast app of choice. In the meantime, please click us on social media. That's where you can get in touch with us, and of course, stay up to date with all of our content. So, Derek, go ahead and plug your handles. Absolutely. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter where I'm the most active at D for three G or at D for three 84, preferably both connect with me on both. Um, I am on YouTube D for three and I'm on the NLSC D for three. I am Andrew in our forum and Andrew NLSC on Twitter. The NLSC is on Twitter and Facebook at the NLSC. Our Instagram is NLSC basketball. We're on YouTube at youtube.com slash NBA live series center. And of course, give a look to the NLSC itself, NBA live.com for everything we do for basketball video games. So, thank you once again for tuning in, and until next time, I'm Andrew. And I'm Derek. Go get buckets, everyone. <laughs>